You're listening to the weekly podcast with Pastor Steve McCoy from 360 Church in Sarasota, Florida. We hope this message inspires you to press beyond ordinary. All right, let's jump in the Word of God. We continue our conversation about pursuit. Today's topic is a little tricky. It's it's a bit profound that, you know, the Bible is full of mysteries as it should be. God is mysterious to a certain degree. If we knew everything about God, we would be God. And so we, we know that there are some mysteries uh, about God that are, are beautiful. And yet God, in all of his compassion, is always taking it to a place that we can maybe not fully understand it, but understand theological, deeper, spiritual things from a human point of view. That's going to be our discussion and why that matters. We're talking today about the presence of God. And when you think about the presence of God, it's, it's like it probably means so many different things to, to so many people. So we're going to begin broad and, and get more detailed as we go along. So today, uh, as we started our service outdoor at 7 a.m., I had a microphone on a stand. And some microphones, like these up here behind me, some of them are called unidirectional and some of them are called omnidirectional. Unidirectional, as you can imagine, means one direction. That means you've got to get right up on the mic. You can't move to the side because you'll lose the sound. Omnidirectional means you can kind of move a lot of different directions because whatever the thing is inside a microphone, which you can tell my knowledge is limited, it's going to pick up on a lot of different angles. If you've been around the Bible or the church, you may have heard the word omnipresent. That means present in all different directions. God is not unipresent. He's omnipresent. In fact, the Bible says that there is no way, that there is no place that God is not here in this existence. We begin with Psalm 139. It is a psalm of great importance of the, of the collection of 150 psalms. It is, has some of the most profound and personal and intimate dimensions to it. The psalm begins by telling us about the value of life, by the way. It's not a political statement. It is a biblical statement that life begins at conception. How do we know that in this psalm? God says that he knows us when we're in our mother's womb, when he knows our frame. Not only that, he's got a blueprint before we even take our first breath. God values us that much and has that much of an intimate relationship. This is not about uh, at all, you know, some uh, some statement that God's trying to make. He's trying to say, I love you that much and I have that kind of relationship with you. And then he gets into the presence. David, the writer of the psalm, gets into the presence of, of God. We begin in verse 7 of Psalm 139. David asks this question, where can I go from your spirit? How can I get away from it? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens... You are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. And then he emphasized, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, because even there, your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. In other words, God is everywhere. So when you think about that, we can we can say, okay, it's kind of like in, being in the six foot end of the swimming pool. And so you're, you're bobbing up and down. There is nowhere that you're not wet. That is like the presence of God or oxygen. Everywhere we go, we need oxygen. So if God is everywhere, then the next challenge, which comes from David also, 
is surprising and mysterious. In Psalm 105, verse 4, then, since God is everywhere, it becomes, it becomes surprising for him to say, pursue the Lord, seek the Lord and his strength, seek his presence continually. Well, why would I seek his presence if he's everywhere? That'd be like, you know, you're bobbing up and down six foot into the pool and, and someone says, get wet. You're like, uh, I am. Take in oxygen. I am. But however, if you think about oxygen, our youngest son, Wes, he has acute asthma. And uh, we've had some dangerous intersections in his life. And, and there have been times where we've had to call 911 because he, he was just gasping for air. And even though there was oxygen all around him, no more, no less, the, the, the guys that, you know, that came out of the ambulance, they gave him a concentrated uh, since a dose of oxygen. You see, the presence of God, even though it is all around, there are some times where there is a concentrated awareness of the presence of God. It didn't go up, didn't go down, but there's this concentration of it. This is what David is getting at. Because sometimes it can be, God can be all around us and yet we can miss him. Even though he's there, even though we're bobbing in the pool, we, we miss maybe what's around us. So we begin then to focus in and get more detailed as we go. It's important. Watch this. In Psalm 27, verse 4, same writer, David, says, One thing I ask of the Lord. Think about that. Of all the things, he said, one thing. This is how important it is. One thing I ask of the Lord. This is what I will pursue. This is what I'll seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that's the continually part, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to pursue him in his temple. So even though God is all around us, you can see David begins to say, but there is a pursuit that becomes more focused. There is a pursuit of God that, that and that word, by the way, when you look at the scripture and it says, that I want to dwell in the house of the Lord. In the original language, you might recognize this name if you've been around the Bible. It is Shekinah, which is the essence of God. In other words, I want to find the essence of God, even though he's around. You see, there's a difference, by the way. Don't know if, uh, if you're aware of this, but for any uh, married couples with, uh, that have had children, there's a difference of perspective between guys watching the kids and, and moms watching the kids, you know? So mom's out, you know, she's grocery shopping and she, you know, she's left the kids home. Let's say they're four or five, six years old. They left the kids home with dad and she's going to be worried the whole time because she knows how guys operate. So she's going to call home and she's going to say, are you watching the kids? And we're going to say, yeah, watching the kids. Why? Because I'm still in the house. I mean, I mean, I may not be in the same room. They may be, you know, spray painting the garage bright orange, but I, I have not left the house. I'm not at the beach. I'm watching, right? That's a different story. That's a different perspective and a different hope than the mom will have. No, watching means watching. I'm watching. I'm actually in the same room. It's no different in a married relationship. When you come home, I can listen to my wife while I'm on my laptop watching the TV, can't you? Yeah. <laughs> And all the guys said, amen, I got you. <laughs> you see, God is saying, it's not enough for you to, to know that I'm everywhere. David is saying, I'm gazing. 
I don't know if you've ever gazed at something. That means I'm locked and loaded on the presence of God. Sometimes we'll have a, a worship songs are written and they'll say, come God to us. I'm like, okay, actually he's here. You know, so it, it would be better served to say, God, make me aware that you have already come. Make me aware that you already here. That's like in the pool again. It's like, hey, I'd like to become wet. Like, you are, so I'm already here. It's that focus, that locked and loaded. It's that gaze that David is saying. Yesterday, my wife, she's an amazing chef. She made focaccia bread. I don't know if you've ever, ever, you know, and so, you know, bread baking in the oven. You know, there's me and my two boys and my wife. And so there were like three male vultures, like around, you know, we were gazing. And then she took it out. I mean, we're smelling it. It's not on my diet. Don't really care. And so she took it out of the oven. We're like, yeah, we're ready to pounce on this. She said the words, she said, oh, it's got a set for 20 minutes. Like, no. And so we just gazed for 20 more minutes until we got, you know, the green light to go. This is what David is saying. I want your hunger and your appetite to be such that you're gazing and being aware of God. Then he takes it to the level where we land today. Think about the levels. We started with God broad everywhere. Then David says, I want you to come into a specific focus. And then he says something very intimate. We begin with a quote from John Piper, a marvelous theologian. He says the word presence is a common translation of the Hebrew word face. In fact, I have a Bible program. It's called Logos. It's, uh, man, just like a limousine. And people think I'm smart. Like, nope, got a good, a good uh, program. <clears throat> so I have the words of the Bible, and you can click on them, and you can see the original intent. When you see the word presence, often when you click on it, it's the word for face. And watch this. Literally, we are to seek his face. But this is the Hebraic way, the Hebrew way of having access to God. FaceTime, we would say. To be before his face is to be in his presence. Psalm 27, verse 8 says this, same author, David. He says, my heart, my passion says of you, God, seek, pursue his face. Your face, God, Lord, will I pursue, will I seek. All right, so try to take the whole COVID situation as best you can, set it aside. So we're pre-COVID, even pre-COVID, because right now, you know, we're socially, there's a social distance sensitivity, and that varies, you know, between people, and, you know, we get all that. But take that aside, we're now pre-COVID, right? Even pre-COVID, there was an acceptable social distancing, Right? I mean, in other words, have you ever talked to someone and they just start encroaching? It's not written down anywhere, but everybody knows it. Like, hey, man, you're a little too close to my face. And then there's subtle, you know, maneuvers like, ha, 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 Bob. You know, and you're just kind of, you know, there are ways to back up. And Bob keeps coming on you. You're like, hey, man. Especially if Bob's had garlic. It makes it even worse. But, you know, so there, there's this. There. In an intimate relationship, it's the opposite. The lack of closeness, the lack of closeness in FaceTime says there's something that's not healthy in an intimate relationship. Distance is not good for a, a, an intimate relationship. Have you noticed? So there's this sense of intimacy. There's sometimes I'll go behind my 17-year-old boy and take him, you know, hug him, and I'll put my cheek on his. Oh, he loves it. He goes, Dad, come on. <laughs> but it's my... It's in my affection. 
You see, God is present. We gaze at him. We pay attention to him. But then David comes along and says, presence is intimacy. Even though he's around, we're looking for intimacy. Even husbands, you might be in the house, but you have to cut the TV and put the laptop away so that you can have intimacy. And even though you're present, there's a different kind of presence. Even though there's oxygen, there's a different concentration of oxygen. And this is what it means to pursue the face of God, the intimacy of God. So that when you come face to face and you rub your cheek against someone else, it's a very exclusive relationship, right? It's different. You don't do that. Well, I don't know. Let's try it. Let's let's mix up and do it. No, it's good. And next week, there were three people here. That's awesome. There's this phenomenon called scotoma. Scotoma. Everybody's everybody's, uh, uh, experienced it. Scotoma is a, is a physical, biological uh, phenomena that if something might be right in front of you, you still miss it. You ever done that? I, my, me and my youngest son, man, we're totally, we're right brain people. I, we've gotten lost so many times. We got lost together because we're driving along like, hey, that tree is cool. I'm not, I'm not paying attention to, oh, we took two lefts, three rights, and then we, we hooked around the end. I, I, then I get back in my car. I'm like, I have no idea where I'm at. I remember that there's a cool tree on the way, but you know, my right brain, my big concept you know, is going over here. So where it really hits us is fridge time, you know, searching for something in the fridge. And so uh, it just bugs my wife to death. She's super, like, you know, detailed. And so she'll go, hey, she's sitting on the couch. Hey, can you grab some ketchup for me? Sure, not a problem. Open the fridge. I'm like, I'm looking. And there's something that comes over me. It's like hyperscotoma or something. I'm like, I can't. It's all a blur. I'm looking. I'm like, I don't want to make her get up. I, you know, I know it's in here somewhere. I'm rummaging around. She goes, how's it going? Pretty good. And so I'm there. I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm getting more desperate. I'm sweating. I'm looking. And then she's like, ha. She huffs. And she gets off the couch. She comes up. And it is. It's right there and it's bright red. <laughs> scotoma. Sometimes we have spiritual scotoma that even God is right there. We miss them. You ever been there? There's a couple reasons why. We understand on this side of heaven that we see, the Bible says, we see through a veil dimly. We see through a glass dimly. In other words, we can't, you know, we're not seeing God like I'm seeing you. When you can't see something or you can only see it dimly, you either have to look through something like binoculars or you have to look around something. Have you ever been in a place where it's a, you know, someone's publicly speaking or they're singing and there's a column in front of you and you keep trying you know, to look around the thing? And God is so gracious, even the harder parts of the Bible, God is so gracious to say, you see, I want something better for you. It's how you look at the the harder things of the Bible, listen carefully, come from a loving parent. The harder things we've had to say to our kids is because we love them. So there are some obstacles that we're going to look at, and then we're going to look at some things that God provides to see through, that God binoculars, telescopes, that God helps us to see him. A couple of obstacles, I think, that are relevant. The first one is self-absorption. Psalm 10, verse 4. Psalm 10, verse 4. In his pride, the wicked does not pursue God. In all his thoughts, watch, Super convicting for me. There is no room for God. 
Now, I don't know about you, when you think about somebody that's, you know, proud, you think, okay, they're bragging about themselves, they're talking about themselves all the time, they're, you know, it's all about me, blah, blah, blah. But pride is at different angles. Pride sometimes just means I'm consumed with my own schedule, my own busyness, my own deadlines, my own worries, my own concerns, and I'm just, it's all about my life. And I, I'd like to say this doesn't affect me, but it does, and it probably does you too. There are some times that I'm so, you know, consumed with all these things, and I'll get about three o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm like, you know what? I haven't thought about God one time because my mind has not allowed room for me, and I've got spiritual scotoma. There's sometimes that it just it consumes me. It can be a relationship, it can be busyness, it can be unforgiveness. Sometimes unforgiveness, it's just playing at the front of your mind. And God is saying, look, I'm not trying to uh, make you feel bad, but I want to have FaceTime with you. And this thing is blocking our view. Here's a second one and maybe a harder one. Sin, disobedience to God, blocks our view of him. Watch. We find in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Now, God says, I'm not hiding my face. The sins hid my face from you. They, they've eclipsed. It's like eclipsed. And then in 1 John 1, 6, if we claim to have rhythm with God, fellowship with God, yet we're walking, that means a steady pattern of darkness, then we lie. We're not living by the truth. We're not living in rhythm with God. Now, let's be real careful. All of us are imperfect. Well, all of you are imperfect. I'm, no, all of us are imperfect, right? We all have flaws. But when John is talking about when we're walking in, and we have those chapters where we know we're in disobedience and we just keep at it, keep at it, keep at it. Come on, let's be honest. Aren't those the times where you think God feels absent? And yet the Bible has proven that he cannot be absent, that he is here. It's that, that you're in a swimming pool and it feels dry. That you're walking in this world where God cannot not be, that he's everywhere, and yet where is God? You have those moments, and God is saying, I love you enough that I might have to point out something to you, that that is obscuring your view. We have to take inventory of those things. The great news is that it's not like God saying, get your act together. It comes to the, the first thing that we're going to look at, how then do we come into a greater concentrated sense of the presence of God. Here's the first thing. We draw near to him intentionally. We draw near to him intentionally. We do that through the word of God, through the prayer, and I'm going to say through confession and prayer. Watch. James says it this way in James chapter 4, verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now, wait a minute. I thought God was everywhere. But see, what God is, what, what the Bible is saying here is that as we intentionally come and touch his cheek, then we will have a greater sense that God is, is there with us and there is an awareness. So then James says, who, who cuts no corners and holds back no punches, he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Wow, that's really happy. Now watch this. Here's a life verse for you. Be miserable. Okay. The Bible says be miserable. What he's saying is be broken over anything that's obscuring your view 
from the amazing, intimate presence of God. Be miserable over it. Mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, your joy into gloom. Humble yourself in the face of God and he'll exalt you out of that thing that's holding you down. See, this is the loving parent. He's not saying you're such a bad person. I can't stand to be around you. He goes, no, I can't wait to be around you. And this column, you can't see around it. And let's deal with that. Well, let's stop for a second. If you read that verse and you didn't know anything about the Bible, your guilt just goes way up like, wow, I got to clean my hands. I mean, I'm a sinner, blah, blah, blah. How do I do that? Well, this is the beauty of Jesus Christ because he came and he uttered these words on the cross. It is finished that we come to him because we're not, we come to him with dirty hands. We come to him with flawed and perfect hands and perfect heart and perfect behaviors. And every morning of my life, I come to God because his mercies are new every morning. And I say, God, I confess to you that I'm flawed. Sometimes I, I itemize those things in front of him. In fact, let me itemize a few right now. No, just kidding. You're not getting that luxury. I say, God, I know I'm, still, I'm wrestling with this. This is broken, blah, blah, blah. God, I come to you in faith, trusting completely, not in my re renovation of myself, but in the renewal of your mercy in me again through the power of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And now I'm clean in his sight. See, this is the power of Jesus. And now it's almost like you just feel like, hey, I can really now have that rhythm, that fellowship with God. Are you holding anything close to the vest that God already knows about that you just need to say, God, I just want to put it on the table because I feel like there's an eclipse here. There's a column in the way. You have to take that inventory. Let me say one more thing before we move to the next point. I think there is a phenomenon with human beings, especially in intimate relationships, that there is this component that is irreplaceable. And that component is time. When David says, I gaze at the beauty of the Lord, it takes time to gaze. And if you come home after work, come home after work, my wife does not want a two-minute conversation with me. That doesn't count. That's passing. That is a passing conversation. She wants my attention she wants to take time. So I'm, I'm going to say for my own self, so that if you're thinking, oh, Steve's such a Christian superstar, I'm just about to burst that bubble for you. I spend a lot of frustrating time in prayer because my mind feels like it's going about 100 miles an hour. I'm thinking of this, dear God, thanks for this day. Man, I got to get that thing done. I, man, I got to get that done by five. Ooh, I got him back again. You know, and, and there's that. And as I've told you that before, and I'll say it again, that for me, there's something that supernaturally happens if I'm willing to sit with God, dwell in the house of the Lord. That's what David is saying. You got to put it in park. You can't have it in first gear revving up. In other words, for me, it's about 20 minutes before I start to get supernaturally decluttered. Now, maybe I'm slower than you guys. Maybe you can do it in three, go for it. But for me, and, and maybe sometimes it's 40. And some, you know, So there are times that, and then watch. It's just like the relationship, an intimate relationship here between human beings. There is a sweet spot. 
There is a sweet spot. This is why my wife, my wife and I walk almost every morning. We leave our phones at home. We leave all our distractions at home. And we start, and it's all about, and by the time we end, you know, a two or three mile walk, by the end, the end is different than the beginning because we had uninterrupted time. If you're serious about pursuing the face, the intimacy of God, I encourage you just to say, hey, I'm going to carve out 30 minutes. And it might not go really fantastic. Don't worry about it. We're not trying to be prayer experts. We're trying to love God and feel his face. So, you know, God knows me. Here comes Mr. Clutterbrain, and he's okay with that because I'm with him. You see, you understand? It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Here's the next thing. Awareness. Awareness. So the first thing is this intentional drawing to God, but then awareness, which means I'm going to stop and appreciate God. Last week, we looked at uh, Acts 17, where uh, we were told that God has set the times you know, of history, set the boundaries of the seas and whatnot. God did this so that men would seek him in verse 27 and perhaps reach out to him, pursue him and find him, though he's not really far from each of us. I love that phrase, for in him we live, we move, we have our being. See, God is, he, there. if you look out that door, we got the doors open because the air conditioning's out this morning. You look out that door, there's probably about 20 things right off the top of your head to say, wow, look at what God has done. Just out there, in the back, you know, the old, old dirt pile back there, like, wow, look what God has done. Look how many things are growing back there. Look how many colors are back there. It's stunning. You walk out of this door, there's fingerprints all over creation. You know, it's kind of like, a, you know, if you're, you know, say your wife, she does something different to her hair and, you, and see, important relationships, you say, hey, I love what you've done with your hair. I mean, she says that to me all the time. <laughs> Steve, I love, I love what you've done. Something different, right? No. Yeah, I shampooed it. That's, uh, that's different. Wow, thanks for making this dish. Thanks for spending time. I woke up early this morning. Yeah, I, my wife's not an early morning person. I had a long day yesterday, and the first thing out of her mouth this morning, I was still in the dark, and she, she wakes, she's a light sleeper. She does that, and I know she's awake. I'm trying to sneak around, and then she wakes up. And so I heard this, and then I, I'm like, Oop, too loud, and she goes, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm okay. But see, she stopped. And she paid attention to me, and all of a sudden, I'm like, it mattered. It matters to God as we seek his presence, as we set aside spiritual scotoma, and we say, God, I'm going to stop right now. I, I run sometimes over here at the celery fields, and I do it early. I start when it's dark, and you know the big hat, uh, cat habitat's right over there. And uh, you, know, you start running, and the, the sun begins to crest, and the lions are waking up, and they're roaring, and I'm playing got worship tunes in my head, and I change over to Lion King, you know, like, Whoa. You know, but, you know, and there's this glorious moment and I see the sun crest and every time I see the sun crest, I stop and say, God, thanks for reminding me that you are faithful. See, God says in Psalm 19, verse one, the heavens declare the Shekinah glory presence of God. It's all around. It's right in the fridge. <laughs> it's right in the fridge, man. 
The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day after day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night after night, they display his knowledge. There's no speech, no language, English, German, French, Swahili, Arabic, Mandarin, Cantonese. There's nowhere in the world where his voice, their voice of, is not heard. The fingerprint of God, their voice goes out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. God is in your refrigerator. <laughs> Depends on if you're going to see him or not. We draw near intentionally to God. We stop to be aware. And here's the final thing I feel like I need to say. We have an, we have an accentuated, concentrated awareness of the presence of God when we do the work that is important to him. I've been in third world countries. I've seen poverty that is hard to even imagine. I know what it looks like. I know what it smells like. They know what it feels like. I won't go so far as to say I know what it feels like. I've slept in it, lived in it, ate in it. I, and, and every time I do, I, my wife is always with me. I turn to her and say, God sees this. There's no corner of the earth that God doesn't see. The Bible says that God is a champion of the marginalized. God is a champion of the bullied. God is a champion of the orphan, of the widow, of the imprisoned, of the sick, of those in need of healing. God is over everything. There's a great passage in the New Testament at the end of time. People are standing before God. He begins to congratulate, celebrate them and say, thanks for doing this to me. And they, they ask the question, when do we, do we do that to you? Matthew 25, 37, then the righteous will answer to, to, to the Lord. Lord, when did we see God hungry? You were hungry? When did we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? God, when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes or clothing? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whenever you did it to one of the least of these marginalized brothers of mine, you did it in my, for me and you were in my face. You touched my face. Have you ever noticed when you're serving God in a way that, you, that you're reaching out, that there's this accentuated supernatural phenomena that you're in the rhythm with God because God is there. And when you go where God is, you will feel the face and the presence of God. There's no substitute. We talk a lot about disciple making, the great commission, go into all the world. Sometimes we leave off the last part. Go and make disciples, Matthew 28, 19, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And surely I am with you always. Wait, I thought you were always with us. Well, I am. But you're going to have a greater sense of it when you're doing the work, investing and pouring into others. Finally, I will say to you that Moses was close to God. In Exodus chapter 33, there's a beautiful, beautiful depiction of this. Remember that the word face and presence are interchangeable. And we're told in Exodus 33 that God spoke to Moses face to face, cheek to cheek. And then it says this, as a man speaks to his friend. This is the goal of God, as a man speaks to a friend. Just a few verses later in that same chapter, 
Moses, who was called to lead out the nation of Israel, millions of people who probably felt it was quite daunting to do that task. He has a very honest conversation with God. Watch this. And we end with this. Exodus chapter 33 and verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, hey, hey God, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you haven't let me know whom you will send with me. It's on my shoulders, looking around, looking around for some help here. I love the honesty that he has. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you, take careful note, not know about you only. I think we need to know about God, but it is his, it is his desire that we know him and continually find favor with you. Watch this now. Remember that this nation, God, is your people. I say this prayer to God when things begin to tilt within the church, when there's hardships, when people are bent out of shape. I want to remind you, God, not my church. It's your church. This is your church. It's never been Steve's church, never been Doug's church, never been Dean's church, never been Terry's church, never been Jim's church. This is God's church. This is what Moses was saying honestly back to him. He said, look, remember that this nation is your people. Watch the answer of God. The Lord replied, my face will go with you. If you click on that word presence right there, it's the word for face. My face will go with you. My intimacy will go with you. You're looking for who's going to go with you. I'll tell you who's going to go with you. I'm going to go with you, and I'm going to go with you in an intimate way. My presence will go with you, and I'll give you deep peace, deep rest. Moses said to him, okay, I'll amp it up a little bit. I call you, and I'll, I'll, I'll up the ante. He says, if your face, if your presence does not go with us, I don't want to go. Do not send us up from here. Now, this is the mark, okay? It all comes down to this. Listen carefully. Some of us are, um, many of us are believers in Christ. But here's what a believer in Christ is not. A believer in Christ is not someone who has agreed with the historical facts of Jesus Christ. That he has died, he was put in a tomb, and he came back from the dead. A believer, a true believer of Christ has come through and embraced that truth. But they've come to the place where by faith they have trusted in Christ. And God has changed something internally, supernaturally, where they've gone from death to life, from darkness to light. And they're now having the presence of God. And it is not our doctrine. It is not the things that we agree with that will mark the world. It's the presence of God in your life that will distinguish you. Are those truths important? Absolutely. Are they necessary? Critically important, necessary. We believe in Christ. We believe that Christ was the Lord. We believe that Christ was, he was God in the flesh. We believe that he was sinless and that he was put on the cross, that he was put in the tomb, that physically he came back from the dead. All those things are important, but it is not enough just to say, okay, I'll agree with that. What marks us to the world is when people see the face of God in our lives. This is what he says. Watch. God says, hey, let me, uh, my presence will go with you. Moses said, if your presence will go with us, we don't want to go. Verse 16, Moses says, how will anyone know that you're pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all other people on the face of the earth? The distinguishing 
factor, the distinguishing dimension, the distinguishing mark that we have as Christ believers to a world that desperately cannot see the, not only God in the refrigerator, they can't even see the refrigerator and desperately need to see God is the mark of God on our life and the distinguishing that we, like Moses, have been intimate with God. Does that make sense? People need to see the life of God within us. And we can only do that by pursuing in a concentrated way the presence and the face and the intimacy of God. This is what the world needs. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for who you are and for so vast and mysterious in so many ways, God. Omnipresent, present everywhere in the heavens and the depths Wherever we are, whatever private place that we think we have, God, you are there. And yet, as a loving parent, you consistently are revealing yourself to us. So may we begin today in the personal chambers of our whispers right now to you. God, from our heart to you, for those who are willing God, we begin with confession. God, forgive us when we have not allowed room for you. Forgive us when we walk past the fingerprints that you have made, that you've left behind, that you create every day. Forgive us, God, for anything that may be obscuring our view of you. So we come to Christ. We're not going to try harder. God's going to be in vain. We come to Christ, and once again, we come to the foot of the cross and say, Oh God, thank you that the work is finished. We trust in Christ for his forgiveness. Help us to see you this week. Help us to look around. Help us to make a list. There you are again. There you are again. There you are again. Help us to be in the midst of the work that's so important. To see the people, God, that you see. Those that may be hurting that are right in front of us. God, you, would you heal us from spiritual scotoma? Blind spots, God. And finally, Father, we pray for those who have come today and in the, in the most private part of their life, they're, they're really pursuing you. They wouldn't be here otherwise. But they've never come to that intersection where they've taken what they know about you to actually know you. That Christ died for our sins in our place. He came back from the dead. It is glorious, God, but it doesn't stop at a list of truths. It begins, God, with an exchange of life. So we pray for those that are here searching for you that have never settled at that intersection of believing, of trusting, and depending on you to exchange their old life for your new one. Maybe that's you as we're sitting in this room. Maybe that is you as you're sitting at home or in your car or wherever you are. You are where God is because God is everywhere.
God is more close than you know. And if you're searching for him, listen carefully to these words. God has loved you from the first moment of your conception. God knew you in your mother's womb. No matter how life has been for you, good, bad, ugly, God has been present. You might not have just seen him. And he loved you so much, he gave his son to die on a cross. And now you come with, with fractured, a fractured life and a, a, an imperfect life. We come as sinners, all of us come to sinners as sinners. And say, God, I'm here with my hands and my heart open. And I want you, God, I want forgiveness. I want a new start. And I want Christ to live in me. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for, for your love, for your compassion, your mercies. They never end. And we love you. Thank you for joining us, and special thanks for those of you who give generously to make this ministry possible. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can also subscribe or share it with your friends. For more information about 360 Church, visit us at the360church.com.